Counterpoint guests were already locked, loaded, and ready to go for part one, of course, brought to you by our friends at Pizzaville. You can get online, pizzaville.ca, or call them, 416-736-3636. They will get you all set up. Tonight, we got Bill Hutchison, former broadcaster, competitor, longtime journalist, now <laughs> professor at Seneca. Were, were we really in, in competition? Yes, until I realized your politics. I was like, oh, I knew there was something I liked about that guy. Anyway, Hi. that would be Bill Hutchison and John Mraz, general uh, poop disturber, former liberal war room director. Hello. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha. Um, OPP looking into reports of possible, a possible sighting of two accused teen killers. Sightings not confirmed. Reports suggest a suspicious vehicle was seen in a construction zone. Um, and uh, it was phoned in to police. Of course, it comes on the same day that the RCMP is scaling back the investigation, but either this is the the norm of, you know, that we're going to be living with possible sightings every day, or the RCMP dropped the ball days late tracking these teens, Bill. I mean, this is tough because everyone's going to be on pins and needles until they find these people of sightings. I suspect they're holed up somewhere in somebody's uh, fishing camp and and they won't be seen for a little while until somebody goes to their camp and, and stumbles on them. Uh, yeah, we'll get sightings all over the place. Two, two skull, uh, tall, skinny, white kids. Uh, yeah, you're going to get sightings of those all over northern Ontario and, and Manitoba and probably back into Saskatchewan as well. Yeah, in, in this particular case, John, the reason it's hit the radar is because a construction worker who says he stopped the vehicle uh, said that a gun was pulled on him and he believed that he was looking at these suspects. But, you know, uh, this is one of those cases. They could be anywhere. They could be dead. Do you think that Susan Sarandon is giving these people advice? I mean, the Thelma and Louise of Canada are rolling around. Well, it's hard to believe that they came this far. I mean, if they came to Ontario, either the RCMP was completely asleep. That's a long way. Yeah, because there's no easy way out of Gillum. You've got to go back down uh, through Thompson all the way down to Winnipeg to get on the Trans-Canada to get over there. There's no way you get there without doing that and how you get through all that, you know. Let's remember they're not in RCMP territory anymore. They're in OPP territory now. The minute you get into Ontario, the RCMP are no longer. It's no longer their jurisdiction, so now we're into the OPP. Or any right, but how did they get to OPP jurisdiction is the question. Like, the RCMP seemed to be reporting this days after the fact. We got surveillance sightings a couple of days after the fact. And it's like, all the way over to Sault Ste. Marie that they were talking about it. So, I mean, that's a long uh, distance to travel. They've got to get some food somewhere. They, they, I'm surprised but, that if they got that no, far. Another, I mean, sort of another tawdry joke. The Ice Road Truckers Show has demonstrated to us all that there are a thousand roads drifting up through northern Manitoba and Ontario to a lot of small communities and there's nobody no, driving on no, any of them. To get, to to get, get the from Gillum, Gillum you got to come back down through Thompson all the way down to Winnipeg to hook up with the Trans-Canada Unless Highway. Unless you get on the tracks and you scooch on through uh, that way on a, on a train. I mean, there's bottom line is we don't know where they are. Yeah. It'd be quite a feat, though, if they've gotten to Ontario with all this. Uh, but they have become an obsession of Canadians, a lot of Canadians, I know. And uh, so there's a daily watch. And uh, uh, the tragedy of that is there's some rom- uh, people sort of romanticize yeah. this, this run they're doing. A lot of it, a lot of dead people, a lot of destruction in their wake. I don't wake. know that people are romanticizing this. I'm, I'm hearing it, unfortunately. I'm hearing it. Well, no, You're I think it was, the wrong people. I think, you know, I, have. I think, you know, it's interesting to point out that those who are dealing with the death of their loved ones, I mean, they're saying, you know, we've been pushed to the back of the burner here. Like we're an afterthought here and, and we're in a lot of pain. And it's because these evil uh, teens are getting all the, allegedly. you know, alleg- well, no, they're not allegedly evil teens. <laughs> I'll just say Nothing's been proven teens. in court. Yeah, no. All right. Look at you, Mr. Broadcaster. Um, John Iveson lesson, has... <laughs> uh, it's the lesson that we teach in uh, Seneca. That's right. 
Uh, John Eisen has a new tell-all book that drops August, and I don't know if either, well, I assume that you read the excerpt today. Quite explosive, not just because of how it paints Trudeau as kind of a wrecking ball with his never-ending foot-and-mouth issues, but Jerry Butts is in it. And I don't know if these comments, John, were said after he resigned or if he was still the most important advisor in the Prime Minister's office, but he blames the whole India trip on India, namely Prime Minister Modi for the embarrassment. He said, quote, we walked into a buzzsaw. Modi and his government were out to screw us and were throwing tacks under our, our tires to help Canadian conservatives who did a pretty good job of embarrassing. So very explosive statement. And I can't imagine that the Indian government's going to be all too happy to not blame, not once, now twice. First of all, it's entirely possible that he's right, that they were set up. Uh, but what he seems to miss... Yeah, because the Indian government packed a tickle trunk for uh, the Prime I've Minister. Done, I've done a, work, a, a, a lot of work, international and domestic, uh, and, and people, certainly that sort of a, a, a pearl, a, you know, that sort of trap uh, is not unusual. Uh, and there are, often, there are often countries that would like to see a change of government. They believe they'd do better with a different government. Uh, with foreign uh, trading partners, etc. But here's what the very bright Jerry Butts seems to be missing. You're supposed to be smart enough to see the trap coming. Mm. You're supposed to vet the people around you. And so passing the buck and, and, and you know, taking all the responsibility, passing all the responsibility to that foreign government with whom we do have to do business. Another way of saying what Jerry said would have been to say, we should have been more careful to make sure that we were in a neutral environment with a foreign government they are, that may or may not like this government. That would be another way of saying it. That would require the Trudeau government to actually take responsibility in some way, uh, and, and they're not going to do that. But let's let's face it, the Indian government did not pack all those costumes for Trudeau to constantly change into. The Indian government did not Well, they didn't actually plan the trip. This was planned by the Trudeau government. Yeah, it was planned by the Trudeau government. And as far, <laughs> as, didn't invite as, far as Atwal, uh, the, the, the fellow who, was a, uh, who attempted to murder a, a, an Indian Convicted politician. Convicted of attempted murder, yeah. Uh, it, it's according to Butts that, that they took him off the, the no-fly list, basically, so he could get into India. Nobody, there was nobody in the Indian government that said, hey, Liberal Party, why don't you include him in here as a, a fundraiser? Let's have him pose with a whole bunch of prominent Liberals here in Canada. That was going on long before this trip happened. But so this is for the, them not exactly to take how that this, could be done, and I don't second, think it's John, impossible to see it all. This is the second time, because don't forget, they sent out a national security advisor, which was completely unprecedented, to, to march out some story that it was uh, rogue people within the Indian government uh, trying to sabotage Trudeau. So now you got Jerry Butts doubling down. They're clearly blaming the Indian government, to which there will be a price to pay. Well, what's this funny? Is going to do again. wonders for our relations hate, with India. I hate buttering Bill's bagel. I really do. But, <laughs> but uh, what is right? I prefer a, cream cheese. At least he's got a bagel. Uh, what is right that Bill says is that I think most Canadians don't actually. Are, are neither interested nor understand the vagaries of Modi and this guy, etc. What they did see was a guy who looked like he was on a catwalk every four <laughs> hours, modeling four the latest, and there's nothing wrong with this, Indian fashions. Sure. And so he looked like a charlatan. He looked goofy. And people see these images on television and say, this is not a dignified representative of our country. This is a guy who a looks like he's at Mr. Dressup's Playhouse. And so, look, this book drops in August. Do you get the sense? And, and they dropped the excerpt today. Uh, John Iveson had a lot of access to the very inner workings of the office. Is there going to be more damaging stuff? I would, I would imagine so. And, and Bill and I were talking before the show, why August? And I suspect it's because if you do it in September and October, you could be accused of trying to corrupt or corrode or influence 
the upcoming election, but August is really not that different, except that no one's really paying attention That's to anything in August, it, except it, it, we'll their kids. Of except all the reporters the will be back. Before, before Labor Day, it's whether it has the legs to carry through past Correct. Labor Day, because not a lot of people will buy the book uh, in terms of the, the average uh, voter. But it's all the chatter that goes on on social media and and on uh, talk radio. But it will be bought by those in Ottawa, um, yes. and it will be questioned, and it will be talked about. And so, if uh, it's talked about yeah, past Labor yeah. Day, then it could have an impact yeah. on the election. We got Bill Hutchison, John Rez weighing off on the day's big headlines, and uh, <laughs> this is like you could get this one sponsored. It's who's run away from the KMH. We'll just quickly uh, go through this one. But sir, another NCR forensic patient of the KMH wandered off Tuesday. This time. Uh, he was found not criminally responsible for an incident that happened back in 1998, but he was considered a high risk to, to public safety bill. And of course, he was on a day pass again, waltzing away. This this facility doesn't just have a a image problem. It's got a serious problem of failing to contain patients. After after uh, the other fellow walked away and disappeared out of the country, they said, we're going to review this and we're going to look at and t-. you would think they would tighten things up right away. They would say, what, like no, buy a lock? Are you well, kidding me? Let's let's review all <laughs> these and, and say, well, wait a second. Maybe we should just suspend all these passes until we figure this out. Gee, and figure out. But no, no, they didn't. And obviously now they've got somebody else out on the loose and, but, and a sexual uh, uh, assault uh, you know, uh, criminal. Yeah, well, there. the good news is, though, Bill and John, they told us this time. They told us. And, you know, they're just trying to solve their overcrowding problem. That's that's the way I see it. It's a bizarre story. CAMH, as you guys may or may not know, has recently been partially bought. It's that's a three-piece sort of setup. It's private-public. So it's not just run. I learned after we talked about this last week by the Ontario Health Ministry and, and that money, but it's also run by private money. Sure. Oh, so you're blaming the private money for no, this? No, I'm saying don't give them your money. If yeah, I'm a big they... socialist, Bill. Let's keep on <laughs> I'm, moving, I'm right? just trying to understand no, where you're going with this. just trying to understand where I'm going with this. Where I'm going is that I, I imagine that there may be uh, people pointing fingers across tables at each other at Cam H and saying, you're responsible for this cost, you're responsible for this cost, and of course, security costs money. Well, you know what? They've had a lot. I mean, look, basic security does not cost I don't much. think. This, I don't think this is them trying to save money on security. I think this is people believing that we've got to integrate these people back into society and believing they're doing the right thing, and it's blowing up in their face because th- this is a guy who was was assessed as as a risk to the the public, and yet he gets this this pass. The same thing with uh, with uh, Chong before uh, he was assessed it's as been a four risk. In a month. He was uh, assessed as a risk to the public. And yet he's still got this pass. There's got to be hundreds there. Um, yeah, I'm um, sure it happens much, much more. I mean, this is just right. the NCR unit then, we're talking about. If I'm a donor to that hospital, I'm saying, this. get your crap in I'm order, not being I'm not cheap here. Aren't we supposed to be reintegrating these people if they're ill? If, they're, assessed as the, if they're still assessed as a risk to society, no. We yeah. shouldn't be reintegrating them until they're not assessed, and until they're assessed as not uh, a risk any longer. They can say, John, they can say, not really. Sure it is. But if you still define them as as a risk to society, how do you let them out on a pass without without somebody watching them? Yeah, this is not about integrating into society. This is about holding people to account and making sure the public at large is safe and doing the basics of your job, which is to secure these people. Uh, Residents in Cabbage Town, speaking of security, are not feeling very secure, but they're asking, I think, a very smart question, a basic question. What does success look like when it comes to safe injection sites? And they're asking because within a one kilometer area of downtown Toronto, there are four injection sites and most of them are not set up with support systems. So there's nowhere for them to stay. There's nowhere for them to get help or with addiction services, whatever. But the residents of this area are saying, you know, crime is up, active, you know, addicts are shooting up, passing out in their backyards. Their concern is falling on deaf ears. But Bill, 
what does success look like in these sites? Is is success just keeping people addicted? Because I would think at some point we have to have a conversation about getting people off drugs, period. Oh, there has to be a lot more money invested in, in uh, harm reduction, not just harm reduction, but getting these people the right treatment, uh, trying to help them to get them off the streets, to to get them off the, off the drugs as well. The harm reduction should also be for the neighborhood as well. So if you're going to set up that many sites in this small an area, there has to be a lot more policing. There has to be a lot more facilities there, as you said, uh, to help these people. And and it's not fair to put this on the on the residents and say oh they're just NIMBY uh, you know yeah. th- that's not that's not fair and for the counselors to turn a, a deaf ear to what these people are saying and saying oh you you know you, you've got to you've got to accept this in your neighborhood no that's not fair well it's never a problem and, and there's another guy on Queen Street who's got uh, a situation where he's got homeless people sleeping all over his lawn and needles on his I mean it does happen if you're in these communities John this is part of the the problem that comes with this it is, there's some great irony here uh, the businesses that I work with are on Queen Street West, and so that's the next word over. Uh, and we have three in our area. We used to just have one. So I find it ironic that the counselors, who are the greatest proponents, the greatest supporters of these sites, uh, in the case of Cabbage Town, of course, that's Chris and Wong Tam. In the case next door, you are talking about Mr. Cressy. They said this is the right thing. Safe injection sites have been proven to get people to turn themselves in for treatment or get help because they're interacting mm-hmm. with workers. Why would you put six or seven downtown in a concentrated area? Uh, junkies, and let's call them that, need to, uh, to need to supply their habit, and that means crimes of opportunity. That means breaking into cars, small theft, all that stuff. My son used to come to my office on Queen Street West during the day, no problem. I don't let him anymore. We have too many addicts walking the streets who are mentally ill. Right. I'm not making the bad. I'm not being the wrong. So the first thing is, well, maybe we should be separating them and and putting them all over the city. But most wards uh, uh, certainly don't want them at all, and their counselors keep them out. So they're all concentrated in downtown Toronto. And what is the end game here? So what you've done is you've invited thousands of addicts from all over the province to come into downtown Toronto, have nowhere to live, and need three to five hundred bucks a day. And the only way they're going to get it. It's through crimes of opportunity. This was not thought through, and I hope the counselors that were that this excited uh, and and uh, are going to hear from the voters about how this has been mismanaged. Yeah, because but it's a they won't listen to the voters because the election listen. was last year. And by the way, when Doug Ford said, "No, I'm not going to fund sites that are not properly uh, equipped with wraparound services," what happened? The Trudeau, Trudeau government came in and said, "I will fund them." So again, politics is being played with this issue. But what we have are addicts staying addicted neighborhoods falling apart, and no one's getting to the source and the root of the problem, which is to get people safe. I want to talk about a couple of other headlines. I'm definitely getting the Uber story in, but (laughs) falsifying report cards, inflating uh, marks, you know, faking attendance records. Apparently it's happening in a handful of high schools in the GTA, and it could be impacting which students actually get into Canadian colleges and universities. The Ministry of Education, and John, I was shocked by this, they don't regulate these schools. Do they not? Do they not have some kind of responsibility to make sure these games and, and there's some kind of oversight? They don't regulate these schools. They don't regulate a lot of uh, parochial religious schools, I learned as I was working around provincial politics, some of which uh, certainly are not teaching the Ontario curriculum. Uh, and uh, and this has been a, an issue, a file that has been opened through both Actually, all the way through Bob Ray. So through three partisan governments in Ontario have been talking about this, and it's never been regulated. Would somebody get on the ball here? You think. Right? Okay, fine. You want to pay to go to a private school? Maybe you think that's a better education, smaller class size, maybe even add a religious curriculum. You better be meeting the standards that are expected from at least public schools, and God knows those aren't that high. 
It's disgusting. I, su- I suspect we're not talking about uh, private schools like UCC. We're talking about some small private schools. Understood. And I know some parents whose children got 62 in, in math in high school and went to one of these private schools, and lo and behold, that 62 became a 96. Uh, it, they do it, and it happens, and universities and colleges, I think, have to look at that and say, what school are you coming from? Because they do have a scale on on the schools, and they yeah. know what schools are better and what schools are, are weaker. But still, kids can get scholarships out of this, and it's not fair, and it's it's gaming the system. Right, just like they did in Hollywood with a bunch of those yeah. actresses paying their way. Um, I, I didn't know this was a thing, but I certainly don't blame them. I would probably do it too if I got hungry. But customers were asked if they minded if their, I guess, Uber driver, um, you know, takes a few fries, you know, along the way. And on a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being no big deal, 10 being absolutely unacceptable, the average response was 8.5. More than 20... I didn't know this. More than 25% of delivery food drivers taste and eat the food that they deliver along the way. Do you care, John? Are you sure? Do you share? Well, Sharing's I mean, caring. it depends on how attractive the Uber driver is, really, to me. Uh, I'm a shallow human being. No, it's a horrible thing. I mean, what? You would be but fired you, what, you don't in any know. restaurant. In any restaurant, you'd be fired for touching a customer's food. Your manager would have you out the door. It's a hygiene issue. Oh, come on. It's, how many times has a special sauce gotten on the food that wasn't actually special sauce? I don't know what you think of when you think of special sauce, but I think of, you know, mayonnaise that's gone rotten in the sun. <laughs> uh, I, I just, no, I, I can't even believe no, we're having no this conversation. Comment. Of course it's wrong. <laughs> Somebody gets caught doing that, they should be fired. End of story. Gross. Bill, are you a share? Are you On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 12. I'm, I object to this so much. I don't use Uber Eats or skip the dishes. I have the apps on my phone because mm. I, I downloaded them. I've never actually used them. And now I'm going to delete them from my phone. Well, no, I will never use a, them. Do not eat the my only food. Thing, the only thing I order is pizza. And, and that gets And you delivered. don't think anyone's spit I'm, on that? I'm not going to believe that they ever touch my pepperoni. They just leave it alone on the, the top of the pizza. I'm, and on that segue. I'm, going, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm amazed you. you're, you're silent on that. But just anyway. stop. But thank you very much. No talking about sausage. I was told to be good this week. You were. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, John Raz. You're a good boy. (laughs)